new beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. If you're new, thank you for coming on and, and listening to this episode that we're going to have. I am your host, Joshua Black, and I'm the one doing the academic research in this area for my PhD at Brock University. And then we usually have the famous, the one and only Sean Ram on here, but once again, he is unable to come. And then uh, Jade Carling is unable to come. So as, we, uh, as we've done in the before, we have a guest guest host, Darwin Dave, if you remember him from episode 18, if you want to hear his story. Um, and he's the one that has his own podcast dealing with my grief. So he did such a great job the last two times. We've got him back on again. So Darwin, how are you doing today? I am doing outstanding. Uh, thanks for having me again uh, this week, Joshua. No problem. I uh, appreciate you willing to come on here. And so today we have a special guest that we're going to talk about dreams for the most part of this uh, episode. And so, Darwin, I know you've never had a dream of your father who died. Do you dream regularly yourself? Yeah, I do. But um, as we mentioned during, I guess, the first time that we had had a conversation, I don't remember a lot of my dreams. The only dream that I really remember is the dream that I've had of the night that my father passed away. Uh, and that's pretty much, I can tell you, probably the most vivid dream that I can remember that I've had. But since then, no. Wow. It's interesting. And hopefully uh, we'll, you'll learn a thing or two about dreams and maybe uh, what's going on in your mind that you're not uh, really aware of. Okay. Beautiful. So today uh, our guest is... Uh, Mary Jo Hayen, and she is a natural dream work practitioner and meditation practitioner. She works with dream clients one-on-one -on -one throughout the country, either in person, phone, or Skype. She has taught a variety of dream-related presentations and workshops. A most precious and humble part of Mary Jo's dream practice is as a volunteer at hospice, where they sort of call her a dream specialist. So in there, she explores the dreams and visions of those dying in the hospice, also known as end-of-life dreams, and also the dreams of uh, the people have of the families and in grief groups. So Mary Jo, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for um, having me and giving me this opportunity um, to share this precious work that I um, of being with the dreams of the dying. And I hope um, you, have, you have a wonderful audience of listeners, and I hope this starts to get this way of being with the dreams more into the mainstream. So thank you for this platform to share, Joshua. And so you do this stuff in person, and so where are you actually located? I live in Estes Park, Colorado, which is about an hour and a half north of Denver. We're the gateway city to Rocky Mountain National Park. So it's an absolutely gorgeous part of the country with lots of uh, beautiful nature and wildlife. And uh, I was just actually saying to my dream teacher that it feels like a very archetypal town for me to live in, to be this close to nature and the world of dreams and the dying. Mm. So uh, it's, a, it's a tremendous time in my life right now that I, that I recognize and appreciate. That's amazing. And yeah, like nature just came back from doing a talk in BC and the mountains are just, there's something unreal. It's, it's so totally different than anything I've seen before. It's so beautiful. And I would love to one day come out that way to see the mountains over there. Uh, so I know the, uh, you had big news that uh, you're just opening up uh, an office. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. Yes, um, so I most of my clients have been um, and are around the country, and I love, and that's one of the the wonderful things with technology is I can work with people in Europe. I have clients on the East Coast, West Coast, Midwest, and we either meet on the phone or on Skype, and we work with their dreams. So these are um, people that that want to explore their dreams for a variety of reasons. And um, then here in town, um, I have a growing number of people that are local. And so I had been doing a, a small office share for a couple of years. And now I'm at the point that, that I can have my own office. And I'm, I'm still kind of got the butterflies because this is a leap. So, so I'm very excited about that to have a uh, place here in town where people can meet with me one-on-one -on -one in person. 
Yeah, I think that's amazing. And it shows that you're doing something right. You're helping people and you're giving people some advice that they're not finding on the internet. And I think, you know, we're going to talk about dreams a little bit, but there's a lot of bad advice on the internet when it comes to dreams. And sometimes you just need to sit down with someone, especially face to face. I love it because um, there's a different feel you get and um, you're bringing them, I think, to maybe somewhere that they wouldn't have got through any other means. So I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. You're raising awareness on dreams, which is sort of the whole reason for the platform of the podcast. <laughs> and so <laughs> uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how you even got there. So uh, the first question I have for you is, did you always have a love for dreams? Like, did you have like, because for me as a child, I I was more like scared of dreams. I didn't really have that positive feel like I do now. But like for your life, though, like, did it come later in life or was it right right off the bat? Well, and this may be, feel like a deja vu for you so, <laughs> because we started to talk about this. So I'm going to say that for many of us, that when we have a passion or a calling, we'll often use that line of, I've always loved this or I've always done this. And, for, um, and, and so I think many of us can say that, hopefully. And for me with dreams, uh, I have a dream that I remember, my first dream at age four, that was uh, still very vivid to me, very magical. And yet uh, it took another 60 years, actually when I was driving to go work with a local grief group on their dreams, the meaning in the dream came into me. And there was grief there actually. And I do write about this on my, my dream blog. But that set my feet on this, there's this way, um, there's this other part of myself that, I wanted to stay connected to. And then my dad, and, and, and I can say more or less, but my dad was a World War II vet who spent um, three and a half years in prison camp. And so dreams were very present in our life because he would wake up, oh, I'm going to say at least every week, screaming in terror. And so, uh, and, and he had PTSD, which we didn't know what that was years ago. Um, so dreams, the importance of dreams has, has always been there for me. And I've recorded them over the decades, not, and this is where I know I love them because I could not understand what they were saying to me, but I did know they were trying to communicate something. And, um, do you want me to go on with the evolution of this or, um, sure. Josh, or <laughs> yeah, if you want, okay. Ahead. So I thought, so I sidetracked. For almost 30 years as a public education teacher, I was a high school Spanish teacher in the western suburbs of Chicago. My husband was a teacher as well. And uh, it was a tremendous chapter in my life. I loved working with teenagers. I, I miss them. They gave me the greatest laughs every day. I, I, I just valued that time with them. And they were some of my greatest teachers. I just learned so much about optimism and enthusiasm and stick-to-itiveness with with these young people, many of whom I'm still connected to um, through Facebook and other in other ways. So in 2005, I retired from teaching and I immediately went back to my study of dreams and I really took it on and studied everything that was out there. And there's wonderful approaches in schools, but I will say for me, we, we kind of each need that thing that touches us intimately and rings the bell and nothing was quite calling me in until I heard a um, podcast actually so podcasts can be very powerful with a fellow named Roger Kamenitz and he wrote a book called although I didn't know this when I heard the podcast he wrote a book called the history of last night's dream where he explores working with our dreams and the way he spoke about our dreams and the heart and the soul and the feeling and the connection. Um, I called him the next day and that's not like me. I called him, I became his client and this was in 2011 and I, he, Roger works with my dreams. We have become colleagues now have, he put together a group of us that's called natural dream work where we um, have continued to evolve the um, study of dreams. Then uh, in, go ahead. I was going to say, it's amazing. And I like how you say that there are many f forms of um, ways to work with dreams and you're looking for one that called to you. 
I think that's important. And I think that's really because there's Jungian analysis and a bunch of other ones. And just whatever calls to you, try it out and see if it fits um, and then move forward. And what are your thoughts on dream dictionaries? Because I'm guessing there was a gap there of when you're uh, before you got trained. So what are your thoughts on dream dictionaries? I know that's probably the most common thing people um, look for in the bookstore or what's available in the bookstore or on the Internet. Could you give me your thoughts on that? Sure. I, I think that they can be helpful. Well, first of all, if somebody's looking at a dream dictionary, they're interested in their dreams. And that's good. <laughs> that's exciting. Yay. Start, um, yeah. And so it, so it is a start. But just as um, it, it, with what we find when we really begin to work with our own dreams, while there's many commonalities, it's not a one size fits all. And so a dream dictionary maybe can start to nurture that thirst of what are my dreams saying. But when we step into our own dreams, we find the, there's such a uniqueness and a personal quality just for us. And it just, um, I have a new client starting Monday. And one of the things uh, I'll need to say to him is that the, the dreams don't care if they step on our, our toes or expose us. They are so desirous of a wholeness and a healing within us that they'll go right in. So even in a first session, I may want to be tactful or um, aware of something, but the dream just says you're being a stinker here and, and we'll go into that. And it's, and it's unique to that person or a moment in a dream that is unique to their hurt. And yes, we all share hurts and woundings, but our dreams are for us and about us. And that's what I have come to love about the dreams. So that, that's amazing. I think it's, it's beautiful that you can guide people to see their dreams in a more unique way. Because you're right, like with these dream dictionaries, it's very one size fits all and it's not true. And so how did you then come to... So you. you you went and found your practitioner. How did you come to actually doing it yourself? Like, what was that process like for you? Because it's one thing just to look at your own dreams, but then to work with others' dreams and for them to look up to you for guidance. Like, how did that all fit in with your identity of being working with dreams? That's a great question because, in a way, and I see this on other people, I was doing it backwards. I loved my dreams. So I wanted to work with other people in their dreams. Well, when I started doing this training and I did four years of study through a group called Center for Archetypal Dream Work um, and what they required, which I liked, this is very Jungian, I had to first work with my own dreams. Little did I know that my own dreams were going to become my greatest teachers and so it kind of turned around where my desire to work with other people's dreams was replaced by this, this knowing and awareness, no, I've got to do my own work. I've got to do my own work. And then I did that for about a year and slowly with supervision started to take one-on-one -on -one clients. And then that evolved into to my own solo practice and the work I'm doing today. But I, um, working with my own dreams takes me to, and this is true for all of us, in my willingness to explore and be with what's there. Um, we call it a descent. And I descend through those places, and I'm speaking for all of us now if we, as we do dream work. I, I descend through those places where there were hurts, where there were wounds, and there's a recovery of parts of ourselves that we lost connection to along the way. And this can be whether we have a, a horrific life, which many people do, or we have the best of lives. Just, just living, there's woundings and ways we lose connection to who we, who we truly are. So I would say my own work with my dreams is primary. And it also helps me, Joshua and Darwin, when a client is in a, in a real pain-filled place or fear-filled place in their own dream, I can be there with them. And it's not anything special to me, but I can be there with them because I know that place in my own work. 
and then we can stay and find the, the healing moment there. We call it, in natural dream work, we call, call it the medicine. That in every dream, there is a healing medicine. And the healing medicine is in a feeling that's either felt or unfelt in the dream. And that's mostly what I do. I help people find the feeling in their, their dream. And sometimes those feelings are wonderful. We know those dreams of exhilaration and excitement and connectedness. But also our dreams are filled with moments we turn away, we shut down, we get distracted. Because there's a feeling there that we're afraid to feel. So these feelings that you talk about, how do you help individuals determine whether the feelings behind these dreams are supposed to be positive or negative? I mean, if, if I'm not sure, how does one determine that? So there, um, feelings, and when I say feelings, I'm, I'm saying what I would say are core or essential feelings. The quality, if I can say it this way, the quality of soul, our capacity to feel our love and our pain, okay. our joy okay. and our sorrow and our fear. But also within our dreams, in all of our dreams, are what we might say is a feeling, but it's really a reaction. It might be, and there's valid anger, um, I want to clarify that, but there might be a moment where we're reacting and we're yelling. Well, really what it is, is we don't want to, what's under that might, is the, the core feeling. And it might be a hurt or a pain, a sense of loss. A sense, and especially with deference to, to the theme of your podcast, what I'm finding in the years I've been doing this, the what is in all, almost all of our dreams, I haven't actually found any yet that don't have this, is, is a form of grief and loss. That we, that we grieve the loss of a loved one through death, but we also have a grief around places where we were felt abandoned or unseen or neglected or abused, that there's grief under there. Because there's a part of us that knows um, that we, one, we want to love, let me say it this way, we need to love and we need to be loved. And when those parts of who we are, those essential parts of who we are, aren't met or even damaged or shamed. We lose connection to that. We think we're not worthy. And the dreams come to us to bring us back to that place. And so first, in our dreams, we'll start to see these supportive characters. That, that There's parts in the dreams that are us, but there's other parts where um, I wrote a little dream primer called Who Are Those Guys?, and those guys, are they come as inner teachers and support and help and slowly help us heal back into this knowing that we are worthy and we are loved. And then from there, we come into the, we bring that part of ourselves into the world. We come into the world from a fullness and knowing we're loved. And that's what okay. um, I want to bring hospice in here. Um, so a little over three years ago, uh, I called our local hospice and spoke with our chaplain, who's a, just an, an incredible woman. And she was immediately receptive to me coming into hospice and working with the families with their dreams and visions. Um, and I will be forever grateful. You know, there's people along the way that meet us and things change. And so I'm now part of the hospice team. I went through all the hospice training. And so when someone comes on hospice, part of what they'll tell them is we also have a dream specialist that will work either with the, um, the hospice patient, the person that's dying, or the family members during that time. And that, that I do as volunteer work. Um, and it's my privilege to do this because um, I was thinking about this this morning, actually. I get to work um, with this place of grief with the hospice patients themselves, their dreams and visions. I get to work with the families before the death. So as, as the grief is starting to, to gear up, and then I get to work with the family members after the death through the grief groups or our bereavement program. So there's a fullness in the way the dreams support us all the way through. Okay. 
Thanks. Did I answer your question? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Very much. Thank you. It's great. I'm glad you led into the work you're doing at hospice because I have questions about that. And the first one's about these end of life dreams. So the dreams that those who are dying are having and you're working with these dreams. What are you finding? Is there common themes to the dream imagery and uh, what you're discovering in the sense of the emotions for those who are dying? I think there's two ways I want to answer this, Joshua. And so I'm very glad you asked the question. One, and I'm going to still put it still on hold, but my experience so far, three years into this, is that the dreams of the dying are not that much different than the dream you or I are going to have tonight. And that tells me that our dreams come to us at all ages and stages of our life, wanting this connection, wanting to be in conversation with us. In fact, that that was probably one of my bigger surprises as I started to work with the dying was, wow, this is a a dream I might have heard from a 32-year-old healthy client. Um, So there's that element. What I would say as as, um, the death is getting really close, and by that I mean within a day or two or hours, there is... um, a shift away from um, the the way the dreams are bringing us these images and ways of healing in our life, and the dream shifts to more the uh, I'll call it the crossroads, the crossing of the threshold. A recent patient, I, I was scheduled to go see him later in the afternoon, and we had been working his dreams, and in his dream, up until this point, had come. Uh, fear, loss of balance, uh, and so we, and that was present, one, approaching death, but two, also in his life, but uh, I got a text from his wife and said, could you come over now, because he just had a dream, and the dream was, I I have one more river to cross, and so when I got over there, um, he had lost his capacity to speak, so I'm so glad we had that dream. So this is where meditation is a tremendous support for me and the the people that I'm with because then I did a guided imagery with him of crossing um, the river and that there was a boatman with a capital B who knew how to cross that river and that he didn't have to be in charge anymore. Um, And I write about, and again, I don't want to take the podcast time here, but it was um, I, I, I write about that and how I deepen this imagery for him. And after I, I did the imagery, he started to mouth something and I couldn't understand at first. And then finally I heard him say, I feel the love. Wow. And he died a few hours later. And I am so grateful, one, for uh, again, I'll say the meditation training I've had because I knew how to take that image um, and make it into a guided imagery. And in the way we work with dreams and natural dream work is we we say, you know, our dreams, we don't work with them as symbols. They're images that carry feelings. And so all I had was the image of one more river to cross. And I knew there was a feeling there. And I was able to get to it i felt i felt it as we were doing it and i knew i knew that he did that's pretty amazing in a sense because when i hear that it's like you you helped someone surrender to the process and to what is and Mm -hmm. we fight life so much i think that it's just a beautiful moment where he could feel love he could feel that love because he wasn't fighting life he was actually being a part of life and that's, that's just amazing. I'm glad you're doing that work because you're helping people in that transition and how difficult that can be. I can't imagine. I've never sat with anyone dying yet. Um, Darwin, have you ever sat with anyone dying? That I Actually, I have. I had a very close uncle of mine, um, not my uncle who recently passed away, but one um, prior to that, about maybe 15, 20 years ago. And... At the moment that I was with him, I did not know that he was dying. But 
when I think about it, as you go back and play things in your mind, I should have known through visual cues that he was giving me that uh, life was short. And as, as you just sit and as Mary Jo mentioned before, he didn't say anything, could, couldn't talk, but just in the way that he held my hand and just the way he looked at me and just to say, you know, I, I've got, as she mentioned, one more river to cross. It was sort of an amazing feeling to know that you were able to spend your last minutes with someone, and it was a very peaceful and, and loving thing. Um, my question to you, Mary Jo, and, and even you, Joshua, as one who's never had dreams, when you say that they have dreams like everybody else dreams, if I'm having a dream that I've got one more, in this case, one more river to cross, in terms of feelings, are there feelings of thankfulness that my journey is over, or is there a feeling of fear that I'm about to die, or is it a mixture of, of both? Well, and I'm going to use the, I'll use this client because your question, Darwin, just just absolutely um, unfolds here with him. So I was with him starting about two weeks before he died, and. Uh, so the dreams were dreams where he was losing his balance. There was uh, a lot of fear, loss of, and this was a man who had tremendous control in his life. He was he was the guy that ran things, that made decisions, the decision maker, and all this was was being taken away from him. And on one of the visits, he said to me, he, he said, it, "It's kind of it, it's almost like deathbed confessionals," where and he said. I tell people I'm not afraid to die, but I am. And so that acknowledgement of him, that opening to his fear, helps helps him name it. I get the privilege of being there with him to be with him in his fear. And so that's one thing. Um, I don't. I don't say, oh, don't feel afraid or this or that. No, we we actually. Uh, I would deepen that. Well, go ahead and take a breath into your fear. Just go ahead and take a breath into your fear. And in that moment where it's honored, it's acknowledged, things start to loosen a little bit. And his dreams, and then his dreams did start to change, where he was starting to feel a little bit of the support and then the, the one more river to cross. And I, Darwin, I, I do want to go back. Um, I don't want to forget. When you said you held your uncle's hand, how potent and important that is in that moment. And I and you said something like, I should have known, and that's kind of a way we can be harsh with ourselves. And But I want to say to you, what I was hearing was in you holding his hand. And, in, and there wasn't, the, it was a wordless place because he couldn't speak. But we may not know what, even though I'm a dream work practitioner, um, I include myself in this, when we're with another person in this place and we're listening and we're there and we're present, we may not know what's happening, but something is happening. We can trust that. So there was something in your holding your uncle's hand that helped him cross that threshold and take that and take that step. There's there's that place of love and support. So please know that about yourself. Thank you. Thank you. I'm curious because you, you sit with the dying so much and their dreams reflect that transition um, to, to death. Is there, do you think like the body knows that when death is approaching or the soul or, or, or whatever? Because you hear these stories of people having these dreams or the deceased will come and reassure them that it's okay to cross over. And then Darwin, you said like there's this knowing that you know your your uncle is squeezing your hand that you know he was dying. Do you think people have this ability, or the body knows in some way? You're saying of your own death. Yeah, yeah. So the people you're like sometimes people say like the they got these signs from the deceased as if they knew they were dying. And so your dreams. Well, also- and that might be where. And you and correct me if I didn't understand your question right, Joshua. This might be where the the um, visions come in because so I work with the with the dreams, but also those um, at the end of life are are uh, not all of them, but a goodly number of them are having visions, and this is where 
um, I think I, I think the dying know, and it's the living that kind of are, have to get on, on the same page. I think there um, are there people that really struggle to the end, sure, but there is a point, and I would say maybe in the last few months, the last few weeks or days, something's happening because there's a real readiness on the part of the person dying, and. I'm glad you asked this because I'm realizing, because this is part of the problem that we want to learn about when we're with the, the dreams of the dying, is they may not tell anyone. Maybe maybe they've had a visitation, and they're they're ready. They got their bags packed and they're ready to go, but they don't share that. But that's what I see with the visions. Is this this um, as I did with the crossing the river. Uh, last river to cross was I took him to this place where those on this shore, and this isn't my own image. I, I read this years ago. Those on this shore are grieving and 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 feeling their loss of this love. But as the boatman was taking him across the river, that the other shore was setting up a cry of joy that here he comes, here he comes, and I I. I sense, and I am aware of this, that the the dying, um, let me put it this way, when I'm in the room with someone very near death, I, we're not the only two people in the room, and I know that. I can, that there's um, moments where there will be a fixed gaze just behind me, and I think there's, an, there's, there's a presence there. That's what I'm trusting. Sometimes they'll mention it. I had a delightful moment with a woman the day before she died um, where I was just getting ready to leave. And I said, do you need anything before I go? And she said, uh, actually, and she was sitting up. She said, no, I'll just ask her. And she pointed to an empty chair next to me. And I sat right back down and I wanted to know about who this was. And she said, she's wonderful. She didn't really know her. She kind of looked familiar. She said, but she's, she's here for me. And so, so I think there's all this going on that um, if we're, we can be in conversation with our dying about it, where they know it's safe, where they're not being told, oh, it's just a dream, because um, they know it's not a, just a dream. My teacher, Roger Kamenet, says when we tell people, and especially children, oh, it's just a dream, it's like we're telling them their feelings don't matter, that their feelings aren't real. And in that moment, it's very real. I, I like that. I like how you're opening up people's eyes and even their families to asking the questions and the people at your hospice to ask the questions of the dreams of the dying. Like, what are you dreaming about? Because a lot of times you say, or like, are you seeing anything or, or whatnot? Just because you said like they can hold back talking about it due to a number of different fears or different things and you see that same thing with the bereaved of talking about these dreams so i think it's amazing what you're doing over there and hopefully it spreads to more hospices and more families who are that sit with their own dying uh, loved ones so i want to actually move the conversation a little forward and to talk about your grief a little bit and you said you mentioned a little bit about your dad was a world war ii vet can you speak more about his relationship with these trauma dreams and then maybe your grief if he's the one that passed? Yes. Um, so my dad was uh, captured in World War II and, as I said, spent um, three and a half years in prison camps in Japan. And, in fact, uh, Laura Hillebrand's book, Unbroken, and then the film, um, that was the prison camp my dad was in. And it was a um, it was a tough prison camp. And so he came out of that uh, and again, we didn't we didn't know what PTSD was. We, I just knew my dad was struggling with something. Um, but he he died at 86, so he lived a good good long time after that. So I don't know that there's grief in the sense of of he shouldn't have died, that kind of thing. I would say that what comes up in my dreams around grief is what I was saying earlier. And that's the places where we lost connection to to the parts of ourselves that are the, the childlike 
joy or excitement or vulnerability. So many of us lose our capacity to be vulnerable. And our dreams take us back to those places. And yes, they show us the historical reasons why that happened. But in that moment when we realize we lost that, we lost connection to that, there's, there's grief. What's beautiful in the dreams is there's also a way that, that that can be repaired and recovered. Because those are the essential core, and I'll even say eternal qualities of who we, who we are. I didn't get to spend as much time with my dad as I would have when he was alive. And I would say there's grief around, around that. He was, he was, uh, uh, he emerged from prison camp as, um, and I've said this before, one of the kindest, gentlest, funniest men I've ever known. And one of my most precious dreams that I had uh, several years, it was actually after I began dream work and several years after he died. Um, my dad was just a, a man of faith. He didn't proselytize. It was just a very personal relationship with him. And in prison camp, he learned, I don't know if it was him or a fellow prisoner, but they called God Davy. And so growing up, my dad would refer to God as Davy. And so if I say, Dad, I'm struggling with this or that, he'd say, go ask Davy. He'll know what to do. Or he would go out for a walk and he'd say, uh, I'm going to go talk to Davy. i got to talk to Davy, which I can feel the tears rising. And, and I think when tears rise, there is some grief there. But my dad gave me uh, this very personal way to be in connection with the divine and what is the deepest and truest in us. And so I had a dream, um, as I was saying, where I was uh, climbing down this rock cliff towards some teenagers and all that beautiful teen energy on an um, ocean shore. And it, it was getting really hard to climb down. And there was a, a, a fellow there that I know but was much younger in the dream. And I said to him, hey, Davey, can you help me? And when we worked the dream, Roger said, the, the fellow's name is David. And he said, do you call him Davy?" And I said, no. And he said, well, who, who's Davy?" And then I, it, was, it was my dad's word for God. And that was such a healing moment for me that while my father wasn't in the dream, the, his gift to me of this close connection to the newness was in the dream. Uh, so I, I've got a question, and um, hopefully Joshua just doesn't interrupt the flow of our conversation. But as you're mentioning that, I want to sort of go back to quality of life. You were talking before about dreams, and you mentioned uh, even visions. And I guess this is amazing because one of the things that my father had always said to multiple people, not just my mother who not just my mother, but multiple people who knew him, was that he always said that he wouldn't live to be forty five years old. And he'd he'd said this from maybe his early thirties. And sure enough, he died at the age of forty three. So my question is, how or if possible, do our dreams affect our quality of life? If I'm having a dream or a vision that my life may not live may not that I may not live past a specific age, what does that have for my quality of life? Am I, and I maybe somebody's, per, it depends on the personality, but I'm going to be somebody who's going to be more guarded because maybe I don't want to tempt fate and die earlier than I think that I should, or am I going to go out and travel and do a whole bunch of things because in the back of my mind, life is short. Let me first ask you then, darling, how did, it, your, so your dad, I'm hearing you say your dad always had this knowing. So there was, a, is that correct? He had an inner knowing that he was sure. going to live. Yes. Okay. Sure. Wow. So that that's a man that 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 um, the the connections to his inner self, and that's what our dreams want to help us do is align the inner and the outer, and bring them into alignment. This piece of your dad sounds like there was some real alignment. There was a knowing in him, and how did he? If I may ask, 
How did he approach life? Was he well, guarded? Um, no, actually not really. To me, he was very open, but in full disclosure, my father died when I was 10 years old. So mm. what I knew of my father was he was just a business owner and he was going and doing a lot of cool things. He never seemed to be guarded with myself. Now, a bunch of things that he would say about, obviously, him not living a long life, he never said to me. And just to clue you in on some other things, it's also been revealed to me that he would have visions. So he was known, even as a kid, from what all of his siblings tell me, they would be outside playing, and he would see a man, let's say, standing at a gate that nobody else would be able to see. And he would describe this man in terms of what he was wearing. And all of his siblings would say, okay, well, you're describing my father. But my father never knew his dad because my father's biological father died when he was 10 months old. And he has, it, it, it has also been revealed to me that he's done this on several occasions with different people that he could not have, have possibly known. But in describing who those people were, there were people who were essentially some of his ancestors that he never knew. So in, in my learning more about my father, he was one, I guess, who had visions of people or connected with people who had died at an age that he couldn't possibly remember or know, but he was also very in tune, I guess, with his own mortality. So when I hear you talk about dreams and even the visions, it, it's now sort of amazing to me to hear you say that because I'm starting to put the dots together for with my dad from, again, from what I've heard, and just listening to you talk about this, I'm just trying to figure out, okay, well, what kind of quality of life could he possibly have had if he knew that, I guess, one day he was going to die? And it was one of those things where my father was shot and killed, he was murdered. So it wasn't like he had an illness that put some type of um, clock on his life. So it wasn't like he had cancer and he knew, okay, well, six months to a year, I'm going to die. It's basically, I know I'm going to die before 45, and then one day in April, two guys walk into a, show, to a store and they shoot him dead. So it wasn't like he saw it coming or he predicted it coming. He just knew something was going to happen. Your father, um, I, I'm just very touched by what you're saying. I'm very touched by because I think what I'm hearing is a man who, as I was saying a moment ago, the inner and the outer were in alignment, more in alignment than, than most of us are. And I, I want to say that even in a more beautiful way, that your father was still ensouled. And when we're ensouled, when we're in our soul, what, what our day-to-dayness of who we are may say, well, that's a miracle or that's a that's a, an oddity, an anomaly, when really, when we're in our soul, all of, all of these worlds are more connected. And so your dad really, if I can say it this way, it's, you know, for many of us, there's a, there's a definite line between the worlds. For your dad, the line was not only blurred, it, he was living in both worlds. And, and it's really quite exquisite what you're sharing. It's very well, touching. And, and I'm sorry, Joshua. I don't mean I don't mean to hijack your your, your podcast, Joshua. That's why you're I, here, right? You mentioned that. <laughs> I, I hey, I just I, it's like okay, well, I got to ask some questions, so I'm sorry. No, it's it and, was good, and I never like I never knew that personally about your father, and I listened to your podcast, so it's just amazing how you know dots connect when we talk to certain people. So I think it's amazing that you know even in your life you're still learning about your father, and maybe who he was and how he was connected to, you know, um, his inner knowing. And I, I'm going to add here the word gift, because this is another thing. Our dreams bring a gift. And your dad gave you this gift, Darwin, of, of being a father who, who knew there was, that, there, that the worlds were connected, that the inner and the outer can be in alignment, that we can be in this world with, with its harshness, harshness and challenges and still be in our soul and still know we're, so, you know, when he's seeing um, the man at the gate 
I can't speak for your dad at all, but I would, I would imagine in that place there's a knowing and a feeling of support and a continuity, which even with a violent death, your, your dad was, was preparing for his whole life. I mean, that's one thing meditation is, is the preparation for our death. And your dad, your dad was preparing his whole life and actually may have made his whole way of living and being what we all want to seek is to be in the moment, to be in the now, to cherish uh, each person that comes in our life because we, because we have the knowing that they're not staying. So I, I think, I don't know if you write, but that would be a lovely journaling or writing to share. This was a gift, well, a gift from your father. And with what I know about your father, Darwin, from your mother's interview is that it's probably why he never paid back her any money because he knew he was just gonna... <laughs> 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 well you know you're out funny. you got no bills <laughs> that's that's funny um all right so that's so interesting about just you know the whole conversation and what we can learn just by talking to other people so um mary joe i want to go to more of these dreams do you your own uh dreams do you ever dream of anyone else who has uh died uh, in your life, do you dream of those people who you work with their dreams and then they die? Like, how are your dreams in reflection to uh, the deceased? I don't have, and so this is interesting for me because this is not something I've, I've looked at much, but but having been in conversation with you, it's made me aware that I've had some dreams of my own father. Years and years ago, one of my um, beloved grandmother and I, she, she doesn't show up in um, current dreams, but uh, she, it was, my grandmother was an Italian grandmother. And so there were obviously two kitchens in the house and one was in the basement and, and you could have gone there at midnight and there would be food waiting. Um, so her kitchen, basement kitchen will show up in dreams. And so while she's not there, there's this feeling quality when the dream opens and I'm in my grandmother's kitchen basement. And there's a feeling for me of, of support and love and um, it, that quality. Because locations in our dream, you know, our dreams open up and they have us in a location. Where is our soul in that moment? Where is the dream placing us? And I certainly don't know the, I certainly don't know the answer to this, but I wonder if, um, and maybe this is part of your study, as the death becomes further and further away, does the person, um, the deceased, show up less? And if that is so, part of me would imagine it's because they're, they're on to whatever the next leg of their soul journey is. But in those first few months or year after the death, is that when our deceased show up more. So I guess I'm asking you a question, Joshua. Is that something you've looked at? I haven't looked at it, but you know, when I, I hear, when I talk about these dreams with people, I, I try to also ask about the patterns. And a lot of people do say they show up less frequently. And mm -hmm. what it, when they do show up, it's not about their grief per se. It's more about like over the loss, it's more about grief and waking life on different issues that are going on. Mm. So it's very, so I think it shows up more often because they're in such a pain, um, especially mm -hmm. early on. But then like, yeah. once again, like I've heard people say they, they haven't dreamt of them for like 10 years and all of a sudden they dream of them. And so it's, it's mm. very fascinating. That's why I love this topic. Because there's so many questions, so many unique things about these dreams that, you know, like another 10 years won't even explore all of them. So it's just kind of cool. Um, but yeah, like it's, that is a, a theory and it, it may actually, um, cause I've heard it from other people too. And even in my own life, uh, I see it in, in the sense of those powerful dreams. Cause I have other dreams of my father where he's in the background, but it's not like that powerful one-on-one -on -one kind of connection with the profound feeling of love. That's a part of the imagery. So yeah, it's uh, it, it's interesting topic. So I want to ask you, oh, yeah, you can go on. No, no, no. I was just, I was just going to say, I appreciate what you're saying that, it, that we, we get to be in the, I wonder, Hmm, that helps us to always be in the wonder. Yeah. And so I'm wondering now, like we can talk about some of the work you do with the bereaved. Uh, so can you just like 
talk a little bit about what you what you see and how you approach working with dreams of the bereaved? Sure. Two facets to it, and I can give examples if you'd like. So um, as I was saying earlier uh, here today, uh, I do offer to be with the families while the, um, their loved one is dying. And so I'll step in. So it's really grief is starting to gear up. There, it's kind of in the pre-grief moment. The, the death is impending. This is, you know, um, while people can go off of hospice, most people don't. They, they die. So I've been with family members with that. And what comes up is, is fear that they haven't wanted to feel, sadness that they haven't wanted to feel, and fear is a, is a big one. And then the grief as it's approaching. And then I also get to be with them after the death. And there's those dreams as you share uh, and, and your listeners share where there's the visitation, where the person comes back looking uh, healthy and whole. And so I step into those dreams as well. And um, one I'd like to share, if I may, uh, this was uh, last week. I also um, supervise the work of practitioners that are new and building their clientele, and I still work with them as a mentor. So before they go into the dreams of their clients, they'll meet, they'll meet with me, and we'll we'll talk about how you know open up this part of the dream. Here's a question that would help. Well. Uh, and I have permission to share this, but I want to make sure I take any identifiers out. So last week we looked at three dreams of a client. And then the third dream was her deceased husband of five years ago. So the, and, and dreams come, uh, so when I work with a client, I'm kind of looking at a dream set, what happened in the interim between session, because those dreams um, often rhyme. There'll be something in each dream that rhymes with something in the next dream. So in the three um, dreams set, the first dream was a relative was very excited about an upcoming trip and planning. And the dreamer was there questioning how they were doing everything, worrying about it, uh, kind of almost projecting their own worry onto this adventure. And by the end of the dream, the um, relative had lost all joy of the trip. It was just, it, it flattened it. The next dream, they were with um, another person who was showing them this new creative project they were developing. And the dreamer said, well, I have a better idea. And said what she wanted. Again, the dream just got flattened. The, the, the person's enthusiasm. So then came the third dream with her husband. And, and my first read of it, I thought it was unusual because um, her husband was rearranging some uh, furniture in a space that was hers, not his. And while she liked the furniture, she didn't like where he was putting it. And so she said, I don't like it like that. I want it like this. And he, and he said to her, he goes, no, it's good. And she got furious with him. And and angry that her needs weren't being met and all that. So that kind of threw me at first. And that's why I say when the dreams rhyme, and then it hit me like, oh, here comes her deceased husband to show her what it is she's doing with other people. And in that moment, and so that's how the practitioner worked it, in that moment she got it. What she thinks is a great idea, her way and how she imposes that on other people, her husband came. And to me, I'll go back to the word gift. He gave me this gift. This is what it feels like when people don't listen to your needs and wants. And she recognized that in herself. And, it, and so it brings this inner world of the dream into an outer awareness of how have I learned to be in the world? It doesn't mean she's a bad person, but it's a broken place in her that learned, I better control, I better give ideas, I better, and there's a way to feel more safe in the world. 
so so I'm t- for me it was an unusual dream of the deceased because he he it, it looked like he was just disregarding her, and then I then as we opened the, the dream up, that is what it was. He was he was teaching her something. What a gift of love! Wow, that's powerful. Yeah, it's amazing, and thank you for showcasing how dreams can have an overall theme if you look at them in concession rather than just one alone. But that's amazing. You give that gift to her and allow her to understand her dreams in a new way. And hopefully that allows her to be more aware of her behavior and work on sort of her power struggle and and what she needed to do and why she needs to do that. And so just to wrap up uh, the podcast, uh, is there any other advice you could give to those people who are bereaved that are dreaming? Yes. Our dreams are challenging, scary, wonderful, all the whole catastrophe. And if we can start to, to be open to and willing to, and when I say that, that's not easy, to start to explore them, to start to, and it takes time to build trust, but to start to develop the trust that they really are coming to us with with this great desire for us to be in our wholeness, in our connection to our inner self, our outer self, to each other, to all, to to touch into and heal all of our ways of being in relationship. And it's not easy work. It's it's brave work. As I said earlier, our dreams will go right in and pinch the ego, and it hurts. But if we can take that pinch. What's under there is this gorgeousness of who we are in our true selves. And um, so I would say uh, this kind of rolls into, if I can make this offer, um, I always offer a first dream session with me for free because as you've heard in our discussion today, this is a an intense way of going into the dream. It, it can open up a lot. And so I always offer a first session free so people can say, okay, no commitment here. I'm just going to try this and then make a decision if they want to work with their dreams in the way we do with uh, natural dream work. And so I can, it might be on your website, but I could give my website um, and, and put that offer out there for your listening listeners. I think that's beautiful. And I said it gives people a way to, to try it for the first time Mm -hmm. and to see if you're a good fit. And I said, like with, with counseling, with anything, you always have to, it's always good to try a couple and to sort of see your feeling, what kind of feeling do you get from this experience? And then, you know, let your heart guide you. So yeah, like we'll, we'll share all your stuff at the end of the podcast, but before we get to the right at the end, we always like to ask one question, Darwin, Dave, do you know what that question is? (laughs) If you could have one dream of your loved one, any place, anytime, anywhere, where would it be? I would have, let me preface this and say, remember that we work with images in the dreams that carry a feeling. I would have a dream with my dad, and we could either be walking down the gravel road where I grew up as a kid, and being together in the quiet and the talking, or we could be sitting in the backyard, which he loved to do, uh, and he wore the goofiest fishing cap um, and talking with my dad. And our talks consisted of uh, serious topics, as you can imagine, um, with his experience. And I've had some experiences. And also, my dad had, the, he was tickled by life and saw the humor in it. And he could just say one line and make me laugh so hard so that's what I would be nothing nothing too elaborate just just hanging with my dad even in the quiet the wordless place just being together or our shared quiet talking so I I love that question we don't have video right now but I'm smiling (laughs) I I, I feel I feel the tickledness of of my dad That's a beautiful dream. And what age would you guys want to be? Because he died a little older and you're a little older now. Do you want to be like younger or do you want him to be younger? Like what age do you guys want to be? Um, I don't know that it matters as much to me, but I would say when I see him in 
uh, my mind's eye, I probably see him in his 40s. And uh, that would put me, I'm trying to do the math here. <laughs> he was 25 when I was born. <laughs> I don't, can't do the math, don't ask me. <laughs> so, so 20s 15. or 30s, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 15, that's cool, yeah. <laughs> We we both shared the same kind of goofy sense of humor. We got we got, we got each other. So yeah, I, I've got a big. You can hear the smile in my my voice right now. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I hope one day you you uh, you can get that dream because it just sounds like there's a beautiful moment of love between you mm. and your father. That I know it was a little difficult, probably as they said, like you had the PS, PTSD and it probably changed him a little bit. But to have that, to see him free, you know, free of those, those, I guess you could say demons or, or those traumas um, and just, yeah. just healthy and be able to laugh like he's never laughed before. Yeah. I wonder what he would be joking around with you about now. He was, my dad was a, a, an observer of things. And so he was very witty and it, and it was just, he'd just say one thing. And um, I, I don't know if it was a dry sense of humor, but uh I guess I'll go back to life tickled him, and that's good modeling. Other things that would, and that might be because of his um, prisoner of war experience, things that could um, uh, alarm all of us. Just never fate. My dad was just—you'd have to light a fire under him. Very calm, very calm. In fact, if you have a moment, I can share a very powerful line. Um, he shared with me shortly before his death. Um, I I don't know if I shared this with you, Joshua, but I've had breast cancer three times, and and it got to stage four. And I'm now 15 years in remission, and something will take me off the planet, but not that today. Um, but when it came back the third time, it, my prognosis was like in two percent survival rate. So I called my dad, and uh, we were talking, and I told him, and I and I said. Dad, I said, are, are you afraid to die? And without missing a beat, he said to me, Mayor, I died on Wake Island. And that's where he was captured. And there's the truth in that. And Darwin, I think of you and your dad. If my dad died on Wake Island in 1941, then he was aware his whole life of living the life he wanted to live. And because he already died. So maybe in a way, your dad was a part of him. And not that he couldn't necessarily articulate it, but there was a part of him that knew he had already died. Right. And wow. so we, so I never I, that to way. approach. Mm. Wow. It's interesting. All right. So that is amazing. Thank you. I learned so much. And it was just nice to to hear how you work with these dreams and how you support people through the dying and just in life. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad you're opening up the world of dreams to people. And so before we go, um, I'd like to just say uh, thank you, uh, Darwin, for coming on and, uh, and being a guest host here. Uh, where can people find uh, your work, Darwin? Yeah, I can be found uh, on the web at dealingwithmygrief.com so all the information about my podcast um, can, and social media can be found there beautiful and we can't forget Mary Jo Mary Jo where are your stuff located where can people find you if they have a dream where can they send it to you and my dream website and then that brings all the links to, to get to me um, and I have on there a submitted dream so with just their first name um they can submit a dream or contact me to to begin working with me just at www.maryjohyan.com will that be on your site or should i spell it out yes i i'll uh, i'll put that on the link to the in the facebook and the, the page so that's great uh look into it and, and let me and and i just want to add also the group i work with the cadre of natural dream work practitioners and that website and this was the one um, initiated by Roger Kamenetz, and that's called thenaturaldream.com. And you can read more about the way we work with dreams from there. Beautiful. And don't forget to check out her blog, too. Some interesting posts on there. And they talk about a lot of these dreams. And some of them are dreams of the dying and, and how she works with dreams of the bereaved, too. So please check those out. 
And then just to end on our stuff, so please check out our platform at griefframes.ca for more information on the topic. If you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams Facebook group. You can check us out on Instagram or Twitter. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and many other podcasting platforms. Click subscribe, and you'll get all of our downloads when they come out. Uh, and so, as we like to say at the end of the show, with love and gratitude from us to you. Introduce myself. You have introduced yourself. This is a very good conversation.